Welcome to NASA Edge, an inside and outside look at all things NASA. Joining us today is one of my co-workers at NASA Langley Research Center, uh, Chuck Taylor. Uh, we both work for the Space Technology and Exploration Directorate. Hey Chuck, how you doing? Pretty good. How's uh, life uh, teleworking these uh, past few weeks? Oh, it comes and it goes. You uh, have the, the basic uh, interesting facets of uh, living with everybody in the same house and uh, two kids in school trying to do homework and uh, finals, uh, getting all over each other. But uh, all in all, we're surviving very well. Well, you know, as you know, this has been a great week for the agency. You know, we just announced the contractors for the human landing system, you know, with Blue Origin and its team and SpaceX along with Dianetics going to be uh, developing some designs uh, for some really cool human landers that will take us back to the moon in 2024. What I want to talk about today, uh, Chuck, uh, is, is a very critical piece of the Artemis architecture. And, and that's how, how are we going to uh, get power to the lunar surface? What are some uh, important aspects that you as an engineer uh, have to look at when it comes to uh, surface power? Well, there's both power generation. It's how we actually make the uh, energy on, on the uh, moon surface. You, you know, the, the primary ways we're gonna do that, we're gonna think about solar, uh, uh, solar photovoltaics uh, and or nuclear in the long run. Uh, but you know, my uh, area has been in the uh, photovoltaics and, and so it's how do we get solar rays to the moon? That's probably not that big of an issue, but it's how do we get continuous sunlight? We're trying to get to the south pole of the moon basically to ensure that, that we have as much sunlight all year round. But even with that, there are certain difficulties. You, you have terrain masking where uh, hills and, and uh, outcrops will block your sunlight. You have uh, variation of the seasons, believe it or not, at the South Pole, where you won't even get the same angle of incidence year round. And so we have to overcome that by putting solar rays on large masts. If you think about it terrestrially, we typically angle the solar rays, they sit right close to the ground and they uh, may be rotated 45 degrees, but because the sun angle will be so low, think of exactly where the sun sits at, at sunrise or sunset, only that's all year round. So we have to elevate our, our arrays on masts in order to capture that sunlight. So in order to capture that sunlight uh, in the South Polar region, what are we looking at in terms of uh, height-wise for these uh... Uh, solar power towers? Well, the, there are two issues. One is we really aren't quite certain what the final answer will be. We don't have enough data on the topography on the lunar surface as to what we're going to face when we land. So we're planning on a mass that we deploy that we bring with us on the lander and then we set to the side and we actually deploy a mast upwards of 10 meters high. That's roughly a three-story building. That's incredible and, and that's and that probably uh provides another challenge for you, for your, your team in terms of what kind of structures you're gonna use for these solar power towers, are you using metals, using composites, because I mean, you know, the more mass you take up, the more expensive it is. You took the words out of my mouth. Uh, we're always looking to lightweight these structures. We were a little bit blessed uh, with the moon in terms of the fact that we obviously only have one sixth of gravity, but then you uh, don't have a real atmosphere, so you don't have wind. If you can imagine how a structure might sway, a tree sways with the wind, when you have something very tall that's heavy at the top with your solar array, you have to worry about bending. We still might have some vibrational input from a rover or something else, 
but we really have a fairly benign environment in order to work with. And so we, we're trying to lightweight the structure wherever possible. And, and, and if you think about this, you know, as we have the, you know, the first woman who's going to be uh, landing on the lunar surface by 2024, are, are we expecting that, that the astronauts will be deploying these solar power towers or are we going to do this robotically? Uh, we're really hoping to do it robotically, Chris. You're, you're, you don't know exactly when and how the astronauts will be there for a longer period of time than, than the, the first uh, missions we have. For those very first missions, the solar rays will probably be attached to the lander. They won't go anywhere else. But as we go to the uh, sustainment period, the 2028 timeframe, you're gonna see a need for power that's gonna far outstrip the ability of a astronauts to go around and put up these towers. And so we hope to provide power before astronauts come, if just so they have power for their habitat, for everything that goes along with keeping their atmosphere safe. All of that requires power. So I, we are planning in our development to uh, make the, uh, um, the masts and the uh, deployability, the retractability of these solar arrays completely autonomous so that we can have them in situ before astronauts need them. So with regards to the lunar surface, what kind of power are we talking about? You know, here on Earth, you know, we use a certain amount of power per day. Usually it's kilowatt hours we're looking at for, the, for our homes. Uh, what kind of power levels are we looking at for uh, on the lunar surface? We're trying to make it modular, first off, because we don't have a good accounting as of right now for that sustainment period. In prior studies, we've used numbers, round numbers of like 40 kilowatts uh, as our total need. But what we're doing right now for our development is trying to put 10 kilowatts on the 10 meter mast. Uh, our our, our uh, slogan was uh, 10 kilowatts in a box. And the idea was to make it so that it was packageable, easily transportable. You could put it on the lander for landing, for, for getting it to the surface. You can take it off, put it on a rover. The rover can take it wherever we're gonna set up. And that if we make it modular, then we can connect multiple masts with multiple uh, array panels together to get you whatever that end goal of power is for uh, you know, the habitats, the ISRU, the fuel storage. There are multiple needs um, for a you know, complete sustainment period where, where you're talking about year-round living on the surface of the moon. Uh, it, it's not just a light switch. You have a lot of different things that require power. You know, we talk about uh, the idea of sustainable exploration and you, know, you bring up a good point, you know, by 2028 and beyond, we want to you know, have sustainability on the, on the lunar uh, surface. So and I guess I would think another key issue that you're looking at is, is supposedly you have multiple power towers uh, set up on the lunar surface. What about power transmission, getting, getting that energy from the power tower to, uh, to a certain waypoint or location, or maybe it's a, uh, it's a habitat module, or if it's a, it's, it's a, it's a rover. Talk a little bit about uh, power transmission. Uh, you, you actually uh, hit the nail on the head. To a certain extent, the power generation is one of our easier problems. Uh, solar arrays are ubiquitous on Earth. We've actually had them on rovers on the moon. Uh, we don't foresee an issue with the actual solar cells and the generation of power as being an issue. 
we've been talking about the mast and the structural element and the autonomy being the extra issue associated with power generation. But that's only the beginning because then we have to store energy, think of your batteries, and you have to transmit it where it's needed. And those two issues in many ways are a lot harder. And not that we don't know how to do it technically, we aren't breaking any rules of physics, it is the mass associated with taking it to the moon's surface. Over a decade ago, we did some very interesting trades and we looked at beaming power using lasers versus using cables like you would have on Earth. And cables still won out over considerable distances. But one thing has changed in the last 10 to 15 years and that we've really decided on a, a different construct for our sustainment period on the lun uh, lunar surface. We're talking about mining for fuel and for oxygen uh, within craters. The minute you do that, you have a lot farther to go. You have these long distances that you would have to transfer power uh, to get down into that crater to the mining element, to the ISRU element, back to the surface. Your habitat may not be located with your launch site because you don't want dust clouds. Your solar arrays may be on top of a ridge because you want to go back and make sure you get continuous sunlight. And so when, when you start thinking about stretching cables all over the moon's surface, all over your colony, for lack of a better word, you really start to add up the mass associated with that. So we are looking at other ways like power beaming as a possible way to get around that. I mean, it is not as efficient. But in the, uh, um, you know, at the end of the game, when you've compared it to all the cables you have to run, it may be a way to go. When your team and, and, and others are, are looking at the architecture for, for the lunar surface coming up here in, in 2024 and beyond, I mean, it, it seems to me that this idea of this power transmission is probably one of the you know, key, key challenges that has to be decided because that determines how, just how big your lunar, your lunar base is gonna be. Uh, how spread out we're going to be might be a better way right. to say it than how right. large. Right, is. exactly. And and uh, it, it's, it becomes a limit on our con-ops. It, be, it becomes a limit for how we think about growing. And so it, it definitely is something we have to sort out quickly. And, and uh, you know, just to be honest, it's not just um, our team here at Langley that's doing it, but you have some excellent scientists at Glenn Research Center that are working this issue with us. And you have folks at uh, the, the Space Technology Mission Director at headquarters that are also focused on this trade. It's a very big trade uh, looking into what type of technologies are going to be available over the next decade that we can use, along with the mission architectures and with our friends in HEO and, you know, trying to establish what the, you know, what the most mass efficient way to do this is. There are different roads. And you know you may get into a situation where you're looking short term and long term. Um, you, you know solutions in the short term that uh, you know take you to a point, and then you change as technology grows or as you want your mission to grow. Well, this technology, the solar technology that we're working on uh, for the lunar surface, can we apply that to to Mars, or is that something more towards nuclear power for the for the Martian surface? Uh, there's a, uh, a healthy debate on that topic. Uh, personally, and, it, and it's my opinion, is that uh, 
you can get a lot out of uh, photovoltaics and solar arrays. We, we've done some uh, serious work looking at what it would take to do that on Mars. You, you, you have two big problems on Mars that you don't have on the moon. Uh, one is a day-night cycle, and the other one is just how far away you are. The, you only get about 50% of the flux, a little bit less than 50% of the uh, solar energy uh, at uh, Mars that you get in near-Earth orbit. And so you cut your power uh, generation capability in half right there. Then you have dust storms that uh, you have an atmosphere to go through, and you have a day-night cycle, which means energy storage becomes much more important on Mars than at the south pole of the moon. If we can get near continuous coverage at the South Pole by, by those mast extensions, we uh, don't have as much need for the storage. So the, where the trade uh, for the moon surface may kind of lean towards photovoltaics, for at least for the short term, those, a lot of those issues push you towards nuclear for Mars. It's not that you can't do it with uh, photovoltaics, and that may be a short-term fix. It may be something we start with at Mars, but really uh, the, the nuclear trade with the kilopower system you may be familiar with out of Glenn Research Center is probably where we're gonna end up for something like that. Well, Chuck, we sure do appreciate the fact that you're working on this issue. Uh, it, it's always good to see uh, you know, great engineers and great minds uh, working on, on uh, surface power. And that's, like I said, at the, we said at the, at the start of this, uh, this segment that it's an important issue and it's an important challenge that we have to tackle. Uh, so Chuck, thank you so much for joining us on, on uh, Any at, at Home and uh, please stay safe, my friend, and we'll see you back in the office as soon as we can. God willing in the creek don't rise. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're watching NASA Edge, an inside and outside look at all things NASA.